In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, and most especially dear AJ and Abby, uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, a high feast day in the church year, and AJ and Abby, today is also the day of your confirmation. So for today, I'm going to first preach on the significance of Pentecost, and then I'm going to preach about the significance of your confirmation and what it actually means. So first, I'll put today's events into perspective chronologically. Uh, After Jesus resurrected from the dead, Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, He presented himself alive to the disciples after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So 40 days after Easter, after his resurrection, Jesus then ascends into heaven. And then, however, before he ascends there, uh, he tells the disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father that is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Then that happens 10 days after his ascension. So then when you add it all up, you have the events of Acts chapter 1 and 2 happening 50 days after Easter. And that's why today is called Pentecost, which is a Latin word that means 50. Uh, So this is the 50th day after uh, the resurrection of our Lord. So 50 days after Easter, the Bible says that all the disciples were gathered in together into one place. And then Acts chapter 2 says this, that suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there are dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, uh, so there's a number of things to note here. The first one is this, is that not everyone received the gift of speaking in tongues. It was only the apostles. Jesus promised it to his, uh, his disciples, his apostles, and it happened uniquely to them here in Acts chapter 2. It didn't happen to the entire crowds or the multitudes. It happened only to the 12. Now, the second thing is that it says... <clears throat> that they all began to speak in other tongues. What does that mean? They weren't babbling or speaking a heavenly angelic language or rolling on the floor or they, didn't, they, they knew what they were saying. Uh, they were speaking actual human languages. And we know this because the Bible actually lists the languages that they were speaking. So verse, uh, 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 chapter 2, verse 9 says, and it says that they spoke the languages of the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, so on and so forth. These are the actual languages they were speaking in those regions. Now, the miracle here is not that they could simply speak other languages. A number of you are bilingual or trilingual here in this church. Uh, however, the miracle of Pentecost is that they spoke other languages without ever having studied them in an instant, in a moment. They spoke real, intelligible languages with correct diction and pronunciation and grammar and syntax without ever opening a book to study it. This is amazing. And they spoke these languages fluently. And what would have taken them a lifetime to accomplish, they do it there in a moment through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is significant 
<clears throat> it says a lot about what is most important to the Lord and what should be most important to the church. Okay? Think about it. Why did this happen on Pentecost? Why did Jesus give them this gift and not another? Right? Uh, he, he could have given them the power to walk on water or the power to call down fire from heaven or the, the ability to multiply bread and fish. He could have given them those abilities. And that's significantly more exciting, right? Yet the great gift that Jesus promised to his disciples was none of these things, but it was the ability to speak, the ability to talk and to be understood. This is because the chief thing in the Christian life is the word. It is the word, the word, the word, the word of God. That is everything. It is through the preaching that God converts hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. It is through the preaching of the word, through the intelligible languages, through these words, that he brings sinful mortals into his holy and eternal kingdom. Uh, to show you this, uh, just a, a number of verses, John eight thirty one says, If you continue in my word... You are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Luke 10, 16 says, the one who hears you hears me. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ that comes through words, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Matthew 24.35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. Luke 11.28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. John 6, 63, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. I can go on and on and on about all of the verses in the scripture and rattle off dozens of verses about the word of God. But this is enough to get the point across that the word is the chief thing that the church has. Now, I'll prove this to you even further from the reading in Acts, uh, that the word of God, that is the preaching, is significantly more useful even than any miraculous sign or wonder that would happen. Okay, so go back to the second reading for today, Acts chapter two. Uh, you notice what happens. The scripture says there came, the first thing, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it wasn't just the disciples that heard that, but everyone, because the verse six says, and at this sound of the rushing wind, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And then it says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And pay attention to this part. And it says, and all were amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, what does this mean? They see something amazing here and they know it's the work of God. And yet the best they could come up with is, what does it mean? I don't know what this means. In other words, it was great, amazing, and perplexing, and bewildering, and, and all of this. But to them, they had no idea what it meant, what the purpose was. And because of that, they didn't repent. 
They weren't converted. They didn't confess the faith more clearly after seeing this amazing thing. They were simply shocked and confused, and that's it. Now, fast forward a a number of verses and see what happens next. Peter preaches a sermon, and he preaches a sermon about Jesus being delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and that he died and resurrected and even ascended into heaven. And then at the end of the sermon, he ends it this way, saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, these words hit a little closer to home for them than it does to us. Because keep in mind that Peter is preaching about the bitter suffering and crucifixion of Jesus that happened just 50 days ago to this same crowd. These were the same crowds who were amazed at Pentecost. These were the same crowds that were complicit in the crucifixion of Jesus, who shouted out, crucify him. They were there and saw him bleeding and gasping for air. They mocked and spit upon him, and they saw him die innocently on the cross alone. And they shouted, crucify him. And, Jesus, and, and Peter says, this Jesus whom you crucified. And now, how did the crowds respond? They didn't say, what does this mean? The scripture says, and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That is a very, very different response here. When they saw the miracle, they were amazed. But when they heard the word, they were cut to the heart. And now their question is entirely of an entirely different nature. And they don't ask, what does this mean? Rather, they ask, brothers, what then shall we do? I want you to hear this the right way. It's, it, it's not like they're saying, well, yeah, okay, uh, yeah, we crucified Jesus. So how do we make it up to him? How do we, uh, uh, you know, what do we have to do now? What's the, what's the next thing? They're asking in despair. They're saying, look, well, now what? Now, what we, we can't undo what we did. We killed him. We already murdered Jesus. His blood is on our hands and we're guilty of it. And what can we do about it? How can we undo this? Um, they were cut to the heart by the preaching. And then they were driven to despair. And that is something that no miraculous sign or wonder could ever produce in you. It is only the preaching of the law. Now, this next part is stunning because Peter doesn't say, he doesn't respond saying, look, well, you guys have to work your way back to God. Or you'll have to find a way to make it up to him. Or you'll have to figure it out somehow. Or just live the best of life you can for the rest of your days. And maybe you'll have a shot. Rather, he preaches this, the sweetest words of the gospel. And this is where he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And this is beautiful. Peter preaches that Jesus would wash away their very sin of crucifying him. He preaches that God is not angry with them for it, but that he forgives them and saves them and makes them his own. And he will wash away their sins in baptism. And that is something that no miraculous sign or wonder can teach you. Only the word, 
The preaching of the gospel says this. And only this will fill your heart with joy and gladness. So why did Jesus give his apostles the gift of speaking in other languages? Why did the father do this? It is because he wanted those people from every nation to hear that the very God of heaven spilled his precious blood for them. He wanted them to know that salvation is free, that forgiveness is free, that baptism is free, that the Holy Spirit is free, that Jesus gave those disciples the power to speak the absolution that is the gospel, the forgiveness of sins in every language. And that proves that what Jesus did is truly for all nations. He wants the entire world to hear how much he loves them and what he did to save them. And the very fact that this sermon is being preached to you in your own language, in a tongue that you can understand, proves that the Lord loves you too and that he wants you to know his holy gospel and that he forgives you and that he wants you to know and cherish the doctrine that has been preached. The fact that we have missionaries in the Dominican Republic and in Spain preaching this very day in Spanish proves that the Lord loves those people who are far off as well. And this gospel is being preached in Arabic and Portuguese and German and Swedish and Chinese and Italian and every language because the Lord favors all nations and chooses them to receive his salvation. He declares his salvation to them and he does not desire the death of anyone, none of the wicked, but that they repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. And no sign or wonder can give you this peace. Only the word of God tells you that he endured everything for you, for your sake and for your salvation. Okay, now a few words about confirmation. You two, uh, AJ and Abby, are being confirmed Literally, you're being strengthened and made more firm in the faith. When you were babies and children, you didn't know what happened in your baptism. Your baptism was still valid and true, but you didn't know the depths of what happened that day. And now after all these years and all of this instruction, you've only begun to learn the beauty and comfort of that day. You didn't know what was going on, but God knew. And now you have started to know. And now you know. And you learn this by having me, along with your parents, bolster these words down into your heart. I didn't ask you to give me a summary or say what it means to you or simply put it in your own words. I asked you, what does this mean? And you memorize the entire catechism word for word, exactly as it reads text and meaning. And these words were etched into your heart And here in a few moments, you will make a good confession of faith before God and man. And then you will speak the words that were first spoken to you. And when you do this, I can no longer in good conscience withhold the Lord's Supper from you any longer. And in a few moments, for the very first time in your life, you will receive into your mouths the very body and blood of your dear Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all of your sins. God be praised for this. Now, as wonderful as this is, I need to make one last exhortation. I know it's graduation season and everyone is celebrating the end of school 
and that they don't have to see their teachers anymore or whatever it might be. Uh, but you're not graduating. Your confirmation is not an end, but the beginning. You're not finishing anything today. You're only starting. So don't put the catechism away. For the love of God, don't put it away. I say it with the utmost sincerity. Don't lose the things that you've learned and then squander it or make a shipwreck of the faith. Don't toss the catechism in your closet or under your bed. Keep it on your nightstand, under your pillow. Read it every single day. I cannot tell you how serious this is. Time time and time again, I've seen children confirmed and then never come back to church, fall away. Uh, The first time they receive communion, and this also happens in adults, the first time they receive communion then is also their last. And they lose the faith and they fall away all because they thought that they could move on. So let me tell you one quick thing to show you how serious the study of the catechism is. Dr. Martin Luther was the greatest teacher of the church since the Apostle Paul. The greatest ever. He is the greatest and most learned man in the scriptures since the apostles. The chief theologian, the theologian of theologians, the doctor of theology. Though no one knew or understood and revered Holy Scripture like this man. And he put his life on the line for it. All of it. And hands down, he's the best and most influential theologian we have ever seen on this planet. Well, as you know, he also wrote the catechism which you studied. And in his old age, this is what he said. He said, I confess this freely as an example to anyone. For here I am I, an old doctor of theology and a preacher. Yet even I must become a child. And early each day I recite aloud to myself the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and whatever lovely psalms and verses I may choose, just as we teach and train the children to do. I study them daily and remain a pupil of the Catechism. (laughs) And these words go for all of you who have been confirmed and made the same profession of faith. Don't let the catechism and the Bible be something that you one time studied in the past. You pick it up, you dust it off, and you study it, and you learn it, and you memorize it. If God knows of nothing better to teach you than this, then we have nothing better to learn than this. If he always is teaching us the forgiveness of sins in Christ and the merits of Christ, then who are we to think that we can move past it? We can never finish learning what God won't stop teaching. So keep learning it and keep learning how much God loves you and all he has done to save you. Keep mining the depths of your baptism of the Lord's Supper and don't despise the preaching of the word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. This is your greatest treasure. AJ and Abby, God bless you this Pentecost and the day of your confirmation. May God continue to strengthen your faith through his blessed word until your last hour until the time he determines your days are full and his word is fulfilled in your life. And then at the last, when he graciously takes you from this veil of tears to be with himself forever. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.